Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. Often when I'm here, whether it's doing a greeting, leading worship, or even in moments like this, I, I really do mean it when I say, hi, family. Um, because in my heart and in my mind, um, we are a family. But I realize that for some people, there might be an eye roll that happens when you hear that word. It's like, Lauren, we are not family, and don't use that word loosely. Some of you, probably when you hear me or any of us in the room or maybe up here say it, could very well think, and, and, and I feel you, and I, I, don't, uh, I don't necessarily disagree, but you could just think, hey, you don't know my full name. You don't know my parents' names. You don't know how many siblings I have. You've never been in my crib. You don't know what I like to eat. You don't know what I like to do. Don't just say we're family. And if that's the feeling that comes up or if that's your experience or if that's the thought that flies past your mind, I would agree with you that I don't ever want to use the term or the word family loosely because it holds weight and it holds responsibility. It means something. It should mean something. And, and I realize that as we continue to pursue life together in lieu of Acts 2, which says that the early church in the upper room, when they got together in those early days, that they gave themselves to a few things. One, the apostles' teaching. They sat under the leadership and the teaching of Scripture taught by the apostles. It says, two, that they gave themselves to daily fellowship every day, for them, every day. They're ushering into the temple courts and they're, they're worshiping and they're praying. And then it says three, that they broke bread together in homes. That was their formula. That was their blueprint. And um, it, it says in the translation that Parks has shared several times over the course of this year that they devoted themselves to these things and to the life together. And so as we pursue the life together as a community, I think it's a really fair time to ask ourselves, how do we know if we are living life together? How do we know if we're doing it well? In other words, how do we know if you and I are being faithful to be the spiritual family and community that the scripture invites and calls us to be? How do we know? I wanna tell you a story. Um, I have some dear friends in Georgia, in Covington, Georgia. Their accents aren't that deep. I don't know why I made it that dramatic, but my friends, their names are Mark and Destiny Casto, and they pastor a church called the Shepherd's Tent. And truthfully, I think that it would actually be more true to their hearts and to what they're building in Covington to say that they are the mother and father of a spiritual family, of a community. And Mark and Destiny, their birthdays are both celebrated in August, only a few days apart. Their husband and wife, they got four kids and they were celebrating their birthdays in August, right around the time of Charmant's wedding, actually. And um, I got a call that as they were piled up in their home celebrating with friends and family, that they learned that their church building was on fire. And so they drop everything at this birthday party. They speed over to the building, and sure enough, they're watching the building engulfed in flames. And so their church, where they host their weekly gathering, actually was, it's, it's attached. There's a few buildings that are attached together. And so when you just see the thing erupted in a fire, you don't know what's what and how it's going to land and what's going to get left behind and what's not. And so it was fair for them to assume that they, were, they had lost everything. And so they go home, and um, friends of mine who were there have told me that mostly they just erupted in prayer and worship because they were so grateful that people 
can't be replaced, but things can. And so they were really grateful that nobody was hurt. And so later they get a phone call and they find out, hey, you actually can go back and walk through your building because the surrounding businesses and organizations around you were burned to the ground, but actually the spot where, where you hosted gatherings, it's actually still intact. You can walk in, you can, you can walk through, you can, you can be in your space. And so they rush back over and they're walking through and they're looking around and they're like, I mean, there's minimal smoke damage, minimal water damage. This is a miracle. They were able to just gather up really special sacred things to them from their time in ministry, um, souvenirs and mementos from marriage and just their lives with God and journals and all these things that were special to them. And that was just an added gift. And so after seeing their sanctuary, seeing their soundboard, seeing the chairs, seeing the stage, seeing everything seemingly intact, they went home and thought, all right, well, in just a little while, we'll be able to gather every week again. And then sure enough, another phone call comes and says, actually, change of plans, they're gonna tear the whole thing down anyway. So I personally can't imagine the whiplash of the back and forth that they must have felt in that time and in that season. And that was 90 days ago. And so since then, they've pivoted and they've been gathering in homes and they've raised up um, different leaders in their house, in their community, in their church. And they just host families and they break bread and they eat meals together and they pray and they worship together. And Mark said something that has been ringing in my ears for months now. He said, what we discovered through the fire, after the fire, because of the fire, is that we weren't just people crammed in a building, we really are a family. And I love that. And I'm so grateful that for their community and their house, that was their testimony. And if I'm honest, it's made me ask myself, see most of our churches, most of us, God willing, it won't take a fire for us to have to discover whether or not we're actually pursuing life together or not whether or not we are so attached to each other that come hell or high water, come building or no building, we are going to be the church. We are going to be so attached to one another, so connected to each other's individual lives that we stay connected, that we do the main thing. I don't think it would take a fire for us to know if we were living that out or not. What I'm so convicted by when I look at the scripture is is that I think that many of us, and I am guilty of it, have had the understanding that church is a place that we attend, not a people that by God's grace we are and that we are becoming. Many of us are on a mission to see what we can get out of a church. We think that it's about having our needs met. I often have thought it's about getting my preferences served up on a plate. Let me tell you what what that means. If I'm honest, I've had seasons in my life where I pull up to church now in my RAV4, like there's a plate in my hand. And I get in the parking lot and I, I scope it out and I go, oh yeah, that's my parking spot, bet. That belongs to me. And then I get out of my car And I walk through the door and I'm like, oh, I don't really feel like being social today. So I'm just, I'm going to ignore the greeter and I'm going to kind of go around. Yeah, serving it up on my plate. Oh, um, they're singing Build My Life Again. I don't like that song. So I'm not going to worship. Serve something else on my plate. Oh, Oh, Lauren Scott's teaching. Man, she cries every time she teaches. Chad Brueggemann, I'm in. Serve it up. 
Like, I, I, am I the only one who's approached church as a place where I come to get fed as opposed to a place where I show up with a stack of plates and say, who can I feed today? And I'm so convicted when I look at the text because I know I've been the person that's like, that's not my style. That's not my thing. That's not what I enjoy. So I'm going to live my individual life and decide that I don't have to attach myself to anybody else that I show up with. Because this is about me. This is about my preferences and my individuality. And my friends, can I tell you that when I look at the scripture, specifically when I go to Ephesians 2, This is what convicts me. If you want to turn there with me, Ephesians 2, I'm going to go to verse 12, and I'm reading out of the Amplified. It might be a little more wordy than yours. Ephesians 2, verse 12. This is the exhortation we're given. It says, remember that back in your life before Christ, when you were separated from him, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of the promise. And you had no hope in the world without God. But now at this very moment in Christ Jesus, you who were once so far away from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace and our bond of unity. He made both groups, both Jews and Gentiles into one body and broke down the barrier, the walls between us and in his own flesh abolished the law. What this tells me is that there was a time where me on my own, I could kind of compartmentalize my life and live for me and do what I wanted to do. But now by the blood of Jesus, I have access into his presence, into his fellowship. And, and, and naturally the byproduct of that was not only for fellowship with him, but it was for fellowship with you. He made a living, free and clear way for us to have access to God and to each other. So that offense and hatred and selfishness and pride didn't have to have the final say in terms of if we were going to make ourselves vulnerable to loving each other, showing up for each other, forgiving each other, caring for each other. The blood made a way so we can freely do that. And then you look at Acts 2, right, where, where we talk about in the upper room, everybody's shaking and baking and tongues of fire come and it's like a whole situation And it says that from that place, the empowerment, the resting of the Holy Spirit was not only to impart individual spiritual gifts and connection to God. It was so that we could be brought closer and we had the spirit working in us and through us to keep us knit together, to keep us unified. And then will you turn with me? If you have your phone and you have the Bible app, I would encourage you to go to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 2. And I'm going to read from the message version because I really like the way that this breaks down. It is quite long. We're not going to read all of it. But here Paul is talking about spiritual gifts and how the Spirit has given all of us spiritual gifts, right? These different abilities we have to serve and to bless the body and one another. And he compares the church and the functions of these gifts that we have to a body, a body that's knit together, a body whose functions require that we all work together in tandem lest we be dismembered. And so he says, you guys find it? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. 
Yes, no, maybe so? All right, you guys are quiet today, it's okay. It says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. I wanna go to verse 15, if you just fast forward a little bit with me. It says, now the foot should say, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. Oh, you guys, I'm reading from the NIV. Darn, hold on. You're like, we're looking at something totally different, sis. Don't worry, I'm gonna help. Okay. It says, all right, here we go. You can easily enough see how this works, this analogy of a body, by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells. But no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. All right, now I want to fast forward to verse 14. Just scroll down a little bit. He says, I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If the foot said, I'm not elegant like a hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body, would that make it so? If an ear said, I'm not beautiful like I, transparent and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from the body? Or if the body was all I, how could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. Why do, I, why do I read that? Why do I share that? Because if we're a body, it means that we have to be so attached to each other that we literally regard our openness to living life together as a part of our survival in the kingdom of God. So if Lauren shows up to church and is like, I'm an I, all I gotta do is see, I'm never gonna hear. And if, how do I make that even more simple? If I show up to church and say, I don't need anybody. I don't need to be seen by anybody. I'm gonna walk in, I'm gonna grab my donut, I'm gonna fill up my plate and leave. What happens when I'm in crisis? Nobody knows my name, nobody sees me, no one, I don't make myself vulnerable to be a part of the body, a part of the kingdom. Man, that sucks for me. Friends, what if you are going through it in your life and, and, and you don't invite us to love you, to show up for you, to bind up your wounds, to support you when your marriage is in shambles, to support you when your kids are all over the place, to support you when you have depression that showed up out of nowhere. Do you, does anybody in the room wanna walk through that alone? I don't. And I wonder if you've ever been able to be so invisible in a church, in a place that's supposed to be a family, that you actually could hop in and out. And isn't that an isolating feeling when we can sing worship songs and have this perceived unity and go home and you're like, who do I call? My friends, that's not the kind of place I want us to be. And I don't think that's the place that Jesus made a way for us to be. <laughs> 
there's a temptation, I've had it for most of my life, to compartmentalize church as a thing that I do, as opposed to a people that God is building up by his spirit. A people that he's graced to love each other, show up for each other, to make ourselves vulnerable to our real lives being seen and known that we might show up for other people and see them in their real lives. Because if you have to show up here and play like everything is okay, man, uh, there's a point in the scripture where it says that we're healed by the laying on of hands. We're healed when we pray for one another and we miss out on so much healing and love and grace and mercy if we don't make ourselves vulnerable to that. And you know what's terrifying about deciding? Man, people are up here for prayer and man, if I share what I'm going through, That's risky. I'm outing myself. I can't just show up and lift my hands and look spiritual. I got to really talk about the stuff. That's scary. Being attached to one another is scary because it means that when people leave, it hurts. It means that when people disappoint us, it hurts. I've had friends leave this church and it hurts because I allowed myself to attach my real life to their real life. I let them see my messy house. I let them see me when I had a crush and it wasn't working out. I made them a phone call when I needed a ride to an emergency room at 2 a.m. And we don't talk anymore and that's painful. But you know what I would have missed out on if I wouldn't have opened my life up to be attached to the body is, is the friend who did come to my apartment at 2 a.m. and drive me to the hospital? Is the friend who did weep with me when I had to put that relationship on the altar because I didn't know what the Lord would do with it? Is the friend that did sit with me in one of my lowest moments and show up and be the hands and feet of Jesus? So yes, there's a risk, but the joy, I promise, outweighs the risk. So I wonder if we can put down the plate, if we cannot have the idea that we come only to get fed, only to, to take something, and we can make ourselves vulnerable to living, real, open, honest, transparent life together. So that's the impractical. Can I make it kind of practical today? Are you okay if we go over a little bit? So if our posture begins to change, and I don't show up just to get something out of a weekly gathering, but I consider myself and you consider yourselves to be joined to one another, to live life together, can I tell you one step that we can all take toward that? We got to start hanging out with each other. Some of you, I said it, you've seen my apartment be a mess. Mariah's like, absolutely. (laughs) She's probably seen it more than anyone. Right? we got to get around tables. We can't only look at each other from a platform or from seats or just rub shoulders and do the high bye thing. Like we have to open up our lives to a cup of coffee or a roast beef at Arby's. I don't know why Arby's is always my example because I don't even eat at Arby's. But really it means like when someone says, hey, how are you? Sometimes it's like, honestly, I'm going through a breakup and it sucks. Honestly, I just lost my job and I'm looking for work. We have to allow ourselves to be seen outside of just an hour every week. 
then we also have to be willing to see other people outside of an hour every week and know them. Because when you fall in love with people and you become attached to them, it's really hard to pretend like they don't exist. And you don't want to pretend like they don't exist. So here's what we're going to do. Everybody stand up. It's quiet in here, but it's not about to be. All right. So if you can just circle up in like groups of five or six. I know. You love it. You love it. Five or six, whoever's around you, preferably people you don't know. So like if you're in a family of like six, then maybe join with like two people you don't know, you know? Is everybody circled up with someone they don't know? Raise your hand if you are. Yes, yes, amazing, great, love it, love it. Stranger danger. All right. This is one practical step we're going to take today toward actually starting to kind of do a little life together and feel a little more attached to each other. So you're going to answer this question. I joked about Thanksgiving, or I actually didn't. I did that last service, but Thanksgiving's coming up. You're going to fill your plate with what? I want you to talk about a favorite dish that you have and a person or a memory that you have attached to it. Mine, my mom makes carrot souffle from a Southern Living cookbook that's life-changing. If you don't know what it is, Google it. And I love her and I think of her when I eat it. Okay, go, share yours. Amazing, are you getting hungry now? Everybody get through their group with that one? All right, um, next question. Also, make sure you say names. I feel like that's a given, but make sure you know, say names. Next one is name a special either Heartland or Forest City memory you have. If it's your first time here, you can be like, I don't know, I guess right now. Favorite Heartland or Forest City memory? All right, you guys learn something new about somebody? Yeah? Amazing. Hey, there's one last thing, and then um, you can leave. You're free to go. Would you just pull out your phones really quickly? Just whip out your phone. All right. Um, I'm turning 30 in less than a month. Can I tell you what I would like for my birthday? Woohoo! Um, I would like for at least, I mean, hey, if it's 300, if it's 600, I'll be elated. I just want my email to be flooded with photos of you guys hanging out around your dinner table or at Starbucks or at Texas Roadhouse because the rolls are great if you can eat gluten. I want you to hang out for my birthday. Can you do that? Can everyone? So listen, my email is lauren.scott at forestcitychurch.com. What I want you to do right now is swap numbers or emails or Twitter handles or Instagram handles with people and decide you're just going to get a cup of coffee or go eat a plate of spaghetti or hang out and then take a picture and send it to me. This is literally what I'm asking for, for my birthday is that everybody email me photos of them hanging out. December 5th. So you got, you got almost a month to make it. You got, can somebody, can like 30 people make 30 for 30, you know? Yes. All right, so seriously, swap numbers with the people around you. That was not a ploy for you to save my um, birthday in your phones. Lauren.scott at forestcitychurch.com. They're already taking a picture. I love it. All right, can I pray us out really quickly? 
All right, Father, we love you. Thank you for this church. Thank you that we are a people that you're building up, not just a place that gathers in a building. I just pray that you'd bless every single person here and that you would make so many dinners and coffees and fireside chats happen and that I get my email flooded with photos in your name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.